Welcome to The Lively Show. Let's explore the beauty of being alive. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show. I am so excited for this. I have really loved doing this pod class with you. I have gotten so many messages over on Instagram at Bella Lively World thanking me for it and so many comments about last week's episode, which was module, I guess, air quotes, number three. So if you haven't listened to module three's episode last week, I highly recommend going to listen to it. I don't know if you know this about me, but I actually listened to the show too. (laughs) Not only do I host, I also am a listener. And I have to say, as a listener, I listened to last week's episode and I just have to say it's probably my favorite episode I've done in years. So I highly recommend if you haven't listened, go check it out. So many people told me that they did the actual worksheet experimentation there, probably because they listened to my fun that I had doing it myself in my own friendly unknown. And then they were telling me they were having a blast doing it for themselves. I even actually used it in what I have lived in the last time since uh, I last spoke to you and recorded. So let me quickly catch you up before I dive into this week's module and then the questions you guys have asked over on Bella Lively World. Um, For those that are catching up to this, remember there is a group place for you all to meet, chat, and share with one another directly over on alivelyworld.com. That's A-L-I-V-E-L-Y world.com, Alively World. There is, it's free to join. You can make a little profile. It's kind of like our own private social media, totally free though. There's no cost or any kind of weird stuff there. But go create an account if you want to. There's a chat group for the friendly unknown. So you can share your stories or if you're listening to this later on after this is already no longer live and going out in real time, you can always go see what people shared if you want to. Or if anyone else is still lingering around, you can sit and talk with each other if you want to. Now, also, I just wanted to quickly kind of, as usual, just repeat and kind of highlight some of the other themes we've already spoken about in previous weeks. Um, I have Darth Vader as our little, and a very cute Darth Vader from Hallmark, as our little mascot for this class. He's so cute and cuddly, and he's four inches tall, and he's certainly nothing to be scared of or fight with a lightsaber, if you will. And that's the idea that the unknown is, and my new girl maths version of Star Wars, we've got three characters throughout this class. The Friendly Unknown, we've got the Yoda, which is our inner voice. We've got Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia, if you prefer to be Princess Leia or whoever you want to be. It could be an Ewok, I don't care. But pick a little character. And then that is your mind as the character that's living in 3D reality, communing and communicating with your inner voice, the Yoda within you about the Darth Vader. And the Darth Vader can either be something that is scary as the archetypical energies of the unknown are often seen to be scary and Darth Vader, Darth Father. But what if we made it Darth Matter, Dark Matter? What if it's the unknown? What if it's the potentials that haven't come into this reality yet? Or as Abraham Hicks likes to say, what if it's just the vortex? What if we're all just metaphorically and symbolically fighting the vortex, which has everything that we actually want inside, all the unknown, unexperienced manifestations of what we want and what we don't want is experienced or is present in this unknown. But do we need to be afraid of it? Do we need to fight it? Do we need to go take a lightsaber to it? Or can we become friends with it, match a frequency of friendliness, optimism, hope, and joy, and then manifest in from this vortex cornucopia of everything? Can we match a frequency that's going to actually align to positive? positive outcomes instead of quote unquote scary ones. That's the big idea with this is that we can become friendly with the unknown. And I have certainly been the guinea pig to this whole experience. And I've also seen the shift in myself given the guinea pig experiences I've been going through and seeing what's actually happened in this little span of it has now actually been, I just did a little count, 20 days since the first airing of the episode that you listened to on the Friday early in January. So it's day 20 of this whole experience for everyone. We are now three weeks into when you're listening to this air. It's going to be three weeks since I first started sharing what was the unknown in my own life. And this is now episode four of the class. So I have to say, as you might have heard from episode one and into the progressive weeks later on, the situation in my own life, I went through from January 3rd in January 4th of this year, I went to, let's see, I got my visa approved. Then I ended a relationship with someone that I've been with for a while. Then I 
this is all within 24 hours. Then I found I had to leave because my visa was approved. I have to go through some steps that would make me leave for one to six weeks out of the country, but I didn't know exactly how long I'd be gone until I actually left. Then I had my, by then, then by 4 p.m. that second day, my dad went to hospital in ER and had a hematoma and had brain surgery emergency and has never been the same ever since. So yeah, I didn't know if my dad was going to live or die, was suddenly single, and was now going to be on the road for the one to six weeks with the visa process. So I've been living through all of that unknown. And I get to say, I'll get back to my update on all of that stuff personally in a little bit. But I just want to say for like major themes to remember from the classes so far, remember the mind likes to structure things and likes to control the unknown and force the unknown to be a certain way. It's definitely the Darth Vader that likes to fight the unknown. That is the mind and how it approaches things. This is very common in a lot of personal development. It's not super advanced personal development. And it's a very mid-soul and the journey of lifetimes of a soul. So it's not actually the soul being in the middle. It's being a soul experiencing a middle range of human lifetimes will often want to control structure and often be the one that's fighting and fearing the unknown um, versus the old soul organic approach to things, which is actually more of an allowing and a more of a realization that actually this is all your experience, your energy, your manifestations, you're creating your own reality, using your own vibration and your pure consciousness that you are to experience within this seemingly shared cornucopia of experiences, but ultimately still within your own VR goggles, so to speak. So it is still your own perceptual experience within what feels like a shared perception. So you know what's so funny about that is that Little kids kind of know this. Remember when you're little? I remember being on like the basketball bus, like going to a basketball game and we're all talking to each other, waxing philosophical as like seventh graders going, you know, how do we know that we all see blue the same way? And how do we know that we all see the color green in the same way? And that kind of thing, right? So we, even as a little kids, we're like, we know that we don't know if we actually experience this reality. We know that with animals, there's much more of a variance of their sensory experiences. So therefore their perception. Um, dogs can hear different um, pitches than we can. They can see less colors than we can. So we know that a dog, for example, or a wombat or a bird or a mosquito can definitely experience this reality differently. But also, even within a more shared perception of humanity, maybe there's also, as a creator, a lot of variance in our perceptual experience of this reality. And maybe it is more inwardly experienced than it is the outward. Maybe it's more the observer creating the reality and collapsing the wave function than it is like the observers just looking at a big soup of other people's perceptions. Um, mass consciousness does add, add a little interesting flavor to all of that for sure. But uh, that's for another time. Let's like save that. Maybe we'll get into some interesting physics stuff later. But in the meantime, going into this mind likes to structure mid souls like to control old souls are learning to do this in a more organic flowing, allowing surrendered way. Decision making starts to become a different experience. So a mind structure. Let's just use myself as an example, recording this episode. My mind had, because I had it open part of my day yesterday in the afternoon, I didn't have anything planned. My mind thought the thought, I could record the podcast today. This would be a good day. It's the beginning of the week. I've got a lot of time on the calendar that's unscheduled. So odds are this could be, or my mind might have wanted to even should on me and say, I should do the episode today. I didn't do it on Monday, but I should do it on Tuesday. Have you ever had that for yourselves? Maybe it's doing the laundry or doing some work or reports or you name it, whatever's going on in your life. Do you should on yourself for certain things that should be done at certain times of day? I have to say that yesterday, my mind had a little bit of that shooting on me because I didn't do it Monday and I was excited to get it out for you. But also I have the old sore organic approach. I don't move until my intuition wants to move. So the cheetah doesn't move just because the mind thinks you might want to eat soon. <laughs> I don't go running around trying to chase my next meal. I wait until my intuition guides me. So even though the mind had a little bit of that activity, shoulding, like, should I do it today? Or maybe I will do it today. As the day actually unfolded, I had a great catch up with my friend Eileen, who I hadn't spoken to in 
quite a while, actually, been uh, a few weeks since I caught up with her. It was a really fun chat. felt really good afterwards. And I was like, well, that ended up being that openness of the day. I didn't end up doing the episode. But right now, I have to tell you, the flow I have inside of my veins and energy pumping for you is so high that this, I could tell, is by far the highest aligned moment that I could be doing this episode for you. So even though my mind showed it on me to do it yesterday, I waited for the organic unfolding to actually feel aligned. And yesterday didn't feel aligning. But what did feel organically aligning yesterday was talking to Eileen instead. So that is that kind of shift where you start to actually act from, make decisions from this inward place of movement forward and compulsion forward rather than mental looking at a calendar and deciding that you should do certain things at certain times because of mental reasons and electrical activity and impulses going on in the brain. Okay, so that is something we've covered already. Then we're going to talk about obviously releasing these emotions. We know, no, no. Please remember that. And I, I'll use Ella again as our, our great poster example of this. But this is such a great archetypical thing for anybody that's coming to this Friendly Unknown class. If you are feeling that you do not like the unknown, there are beanbags around the feelings that you're feeling and ultimately the outcomes you're fearing. And releasing those emotions about those feared outcomes is the number one thing that is going to help you get clear and of yourself and not dread the future as much. So releasing those emotions, it's like, I like to use this new analogy. I've been using it a lot in the last year teaching. It's just become like my go-to analogy. So I probably end up being known for this in the future, like dirty shoes. So if your shoes were white before they walked in the muddy field, um, you you know, have white shoes ultimately, even though they might look dirty on the outside, there might be a lot of brown, so much brown that you might not even think they're white anymore (laughs) in some certain cases, but ultimately underneath the dirt, they are white underneath. So when it comes to releasing these emotions, if you're not feeling clear, which is at least neutral or open to the unknown, there is dirt on your shoes. And you talking about it and intellectualizing the dirt on your shoes, going to therapy to talk about the dirt on your shoes is not the same as washing the dirt off of your shoes. Please, please, please remember that you can actually release those emotions so that you can get to neutral, get to clarity. You don't even have to get to joy or excitement per se about the unknown, but at least not fighting the unknown, at least allowing Darth Vader to be in the room without fearing him or fighting him or having to push him in the corner and to control him, to let him be there and be open and maybe even friendly or optimistic or excited or jubilant about the unknown. Those will all be really great places to be. But even if you're just getting to clear, if you don't feel clear, there's dirt on the shoes, there's emotions to be released. Please remember to release them. We have so many resources and ways to do that. People have been messaging me. By the way, you can go work with a facilitator if you want to. We have I think over 250 now around the world, so many different languages even. So if you don't speak English as your primary language, you can go find someone speaking in Portuguese or French or German to go work with for your inner voice sessions. But you can actually create a custom, you know, unknown, unknown session for yourself with a facilitator. So just go over to bellalively.com slash find a facilitator, release those beanbags, have the person help you hold those um, space for you so that you can ask those questions inside of yourself and get your inner voices clarity on what actions to take on the areas your mind might be fearing when it comes to the unknown. But I got some questions about that. You can, and I highly recommend if you've never worked with anyone before, working with someone first, instead of just trying to take a stab at releasing the emotions without someone holding space for you is very, very, very likely to be ineffective, even though it will feel like you did something. If you don't categorically feel a hell of a lot better after you've done this, you haven't actually done it yet. And it's not that it doesn't work. It's just you haven't used the soap right to get the stain off the shoe. So please work with a facilitator to help yourself get those stains off your shoes so that you can be clear and then optimistic and open and actually move forward on the emotional scale so that you collapse your wave function to manifestations in the unknown that match the friendliness that you want to have, the high vibes that you want to have. Okay. And remember to get off the duality pendulum. It's become also very relevant for me to talk about the duality of this reality. It's something that spirituality talked about for 
obviously eons of time, but it didn't really feel hyper relevant to my own perception of spirituality or this reality itself, especially until the last years that I started to realize and see through this reality so much how that is so essential. And when it comes to the unknown, the duality pendulum, the swinging back and forth between A on one side and B on the other, hot on one side, cold on the other, or Republican on one side, Democrat on the other, or any of these dualities of this reality, when it comes to the unknown, there is usually this mind tendency overall to find one of the outcomes about the unknown that's good and the mind decides the good thing is A, and then the bad thing, which is the opposite usually of A, is B. And so it swings between, am I going to find the love of my life or am I going to be single forever? <laughs> am I going to stay at this job or should I leave? Or am I going to, you know, I'm sick of being here, but I'm afraid I'm going to be poor forever. On the other side, you see those swingings between these two extremes. That's very, very commonly why so many people hate the unknown is because they're swinging between option A and option B. And and they hate both or no, they only accept one and then they hate the other one and they are terrified. So they swing like Tarzan, but trying only to stay on one side of like the vine of Tarzan swinging off of a tree onto one side. But you know that the reality of this reality is that it's going to swing, but like gravity is going to move between both sides of a pendulum. If you're actually Tarzan swinging on a vine, you're never going to be able to stay cocked over to one side. You're going to, gravity is going to pull you back to the other side. And so the best thing you should do is get to neutral where you're just hanging in the middle going, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just not going to keep swinging because that is insane. One of the easiest ways to do that besides in especially after you've been bagged and gotten rid of the emotions that have really clogged your vibrational pipe, so to speak, is then to do the thing that I did last week with you guys and you guys all loved and are starting to do yourselves, which is write down 20 different you could do 10 if you want. It doesn't even have to take 20, but by 20, you're getting really high vibe usually. But come up with 20 or 10 or 20 different potentials, not just A and not just B, but 10 to 20 other things that if the thing that you want to happen doesn't happen, write 10 to 20 things down that could be even better or at least as good as if the thing that you want to happen happens. And you get to be as fantastical. You get to be as fun and playful as you want. As you listen in that episode, you're going to hear me talk about if the visa didn't work out and I had to leave my flat, Oprah and Eckhart and Henry Cavill all made appearances in my <laughs> my potential. So I really thought to some people in this reality I've never gone to interact with and I pulled those into potentials. And it just really opened up my whole energy. And I actually did that in this week as well, which I'm going to share soon. But yeah, do that experiment. And if it doesn't sound fun, guarantee, go listen to me talk about it in the second half of last week's episode. I have a feeling even if you just listen to mine, you'll feel better. Someone said, you know, even though my life hasn't changed at all, just listening to you do that in last week's episode made me feel better about my own life as well. So highly recommend. But now let's get into week four. Let me give you the personal update since I'm now definitely a archetypical guinea pig of so many unknowns. So last I shared, so many things fell into place the minute that I got to Portugal. I was able to submit my application for my visa, find out when I could have a visa appointment. I booked trips to the U.S. and was able to kind of just get a greater grip on the theoretical potentials that I had coming forward into my life, at least on the side of travel and the visa itself. Now, when it comes to the rest of the things that have happened, I did get to go. So I went to the U.S. I got fingerprinted in the visa office, which was the plan in New York City. Then I went down after the fingerprint appointment was done. I got to find out at the appointment that good news, I didn't have to wait for the passport to get shipped to my parents' house. They have you print out a packing slip to send it somewhere. But I knew that would add extra potential days to the trip. And I was just wondering if I didn't have to do that because I was more interested in getting back sooner than later, which was just my personal preference. And they said, yep, you can come pick it up at the office in New York if you want to. So I opted for that at the fingerprint appointment. I talked to one of the girls that was sitting next to me too, and she was getting and picking up her passport. And she said, yeah, the five-day turnaround time, which is the same thing that I had picked. She said, I actually found out within like two to three days that it was ready. So much sooner than even the five-day window that we had paid for, which was great news. But obviously I'd have to live through my own unknown to see when that would actually be ready for me personally. 
So after I got the fingerprints done, then I went to Florida to see my parents. As you guys heard from the earlier episodes, my dad went into a hematoma. He had a big, big brain bleed in his head. They took off half of his skull. He was in super critical ICU condition for quite a while and then was moved to a regular hospital bed. I was hearing intermittent updates and very specific information because my mom is a very on the ground. It is what it is like physical world. It's it's actually a hugely ironic that I am so in the non-physical and she doesn't have yet access to that side of or bigger picture thing. She's just a really literal person. So she was telling me, you know, the magnesium levels are good today and stuff. But, you know, that wasn't really like prognosis outlooks, greater awareness of things. So once I actually got there, I got to assess for myself and speak to the doctor myself and ask the questions that I wanted to know and understand about his condition um, that she just didn't have the capacity or like focus on. So I was able to actually be there. It is amazing because when I first told you guys that this whole all was happening, which is days after he went into that original surgery and they didn't know if he would really live or die, I was like beside myself in my mind because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what's happening. I don't even know whether he's going to live or die. And had I not had the visa information or the time away to be one to six weeks, and had I not had the FEIE, foreign earned income exemption thing, if I didn't have those pieces of my life being what they were, I would have probably flown to Florida immediately at that original time. And I was so stressed out in the unknown because I was so annoyed that it definitely didn't feel like the right thing to do in that situation. No one told me to come. My mom wasn't saying this is the time to come. Um, I just felt like maybe it should be. And if I didn't have these other considerations in mind, I probably would have come regardless of whether she thought I should come or not. But because of these other considerations, it didn't feel aligned to going. And so I just had to live in the friendly unknown, but I wasn't very friendly with it at first. I was quite scared about and unclear, I guess, about what was going to happen. All of this to say that by the time the trip actually happened, by the time the visa fingerprint appointment actually happened, by the time I actually got it done, by the time I actually flew to Florida, all of this had been, I think, about three weeks maybe since he, or uh, maybe two weeks, two and a half weeks since he originally went to the hospital. So quite a bit of time had passed. My brother, uh, I have two other brothers. One of the brothers went, I think a week later and sat with my mom and was spent some time with my dad in the hospital. Um, But my dad was in a place where he wasn't talking yet and was just kind of was he a vegetable? I mean, kind of like in that kind of condition, so to speak. So they didn't really get much interaction with him. But my brother was first on the ground, you could say, to be there and present with my mom for my mom and also to see what was going on with dad. By the time I actually got there, through the flow and alignment of all of the situations, even though my mind shitted on me that I should be there, I could tell the flow and alignment wasn't to go until it was time to go, until I actually went. The two days that I was, well, I was there for four days, but I spent two of the days with my dad in the hospital, were the two best days he has had before and since I've been there. I ended up going on the two days he was most alert, most cognitively present, most chatty, he was talking to me the entire time, most communicative, eye contact, you name it. And not only that, so not only did I get to actually interact with my dad in a way that my mom hadn't even gotten to yet herself, even though she's going all the time, and my brother who was there um, for that week didn't get to see either. I got to actually sit there for hours with him talking. And it was hard to be honest to hear about 60% of what he said. He'd have to repeat himself because his volume wasn't very high and his ability to use his vocal cords was like kind of somewhat stunted because he hadn't been using them and his brain cognition was still very, very much impaired. His skull is still missing from his head that he's not yet strong enough for that to all happen. He's got a lot of swelling on that side of the head as well. But I have to say, all of that aside, aside from his physical condition, I got to actually look my dad in the eye and spend two solid days talking with him. And interestingly, the first day was 
was the day at the hospital. So I was actually at the hospital where he had um, been admitted or where they did the brain surgery. And I got to talk to one of the doctors and I finally got to ask all the questions I wanted to know. Um, just from a like kind of like a bird's eye view, I needed to hear the overview because my mom is very on the ground. She's like a troop, but not like a general. So like her perspective was very um, day-to-day updates of like magnesium levels and stuff, but it wasn't really giving me what's the bigger outlook? Is he going to die? Is he going to survive? What's the potential recovery look like? That kind of thing. And I got some great milestones, nothing detailed because brain stuff is so unique to every single individual. But the doctor said some great things that have really helped me and my mom and everyone else in our family too. One was that the biggest uh, leaps of improvement happen in the first month for something like this. And then the next six to 12 months is really where you're going to assess the longer term potential for physical and mental recovery. So it was really important to see how much he could improve in those first few weeks. And he had by that point, I think my mom had done the math and realized that he first went in three weeks to that point. And then we had one more week, pivotal week, you know, to make some big leaps and improvements. And then obviously to see where he'd end up going into the next six to 12 months. So the other thing that was very important I could realize from the doctor was that rehab was essential. So yes, they were keeping him alive in the hospital and making sure his vitals were strong, but they were not doing anything to help him actually improve, actually have speech, uh, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, all that kind of stuff. This was just a place for him to stay alive, but not a place for him to thrive functionally. So then it became imperative that not only did he get out of that hospital that he gets to a good rehab? And my mom had already done the research on that and found a place that's brand new, opened one month before all of this happened for my dad right next door to her house so or their house. So she's super excited because she didn't love the drive into the inner city to get to like lots of big on-ramps. I could see like she's not a favorite. She doesn't love driving. I, I haven't driven in eight years, but she, she drives all the time. It doesn't like to drive on those big kind of freeways and so forth. And I could see it was quite a stressful trip for her to get into the hospital area every week. But as Flo had it, the second day that I was there, they transferred, they approved and transferred him to the rehab center. My mom was thrilled. She was so excited. I was able to go there. And so we were able to be there right after he got transferred in the ambulance from the hospital into the rehab facility. So that was amazing because we weren't sure when that was actually going to happen. But I'm so thankful that I got to be there too for that exact time. Talk about alignment. I feel like because of my own assessment of the situation being so different than my mom, you know, we just view the world differently and we, we notice different things almost in a way that I was able to be there to help. Also, my mom had a lot of information to give to the nurses and staff about his condition, what led up to it, and then what it was like while he was in the hospital. But even for me, the single day that I was there in the hospital talking to the doctors and assessing the situation myself, I was also able to add a lot of context and help and support to the nurses and staff as he was being admitted because they kind of had pieces and parts totally like undocumented. So they were like going to try to feed him steak for dinner based on what (laughs) the previous uh, hospital had cleared him for. I'm like, he hasn't had anything but a feeding tube for the last uh, three weeks. I think we should probably see if he can actually drink any liquids before we start trying to feed him a steak dinner. So the good news is actually on that, he has since eaten solids. But that initial day, I was so glad to be there to say, I think he looks dehydrated and he needs the IV and he needs the liquids through the feeding tube that he's been used to just to get him settled before they could assess whether he could actually swallow (laughs) instead of just assuming based on these vague orders from the other hospital he was cleared for thick liquids and and foods so anyway super happy that I was able to be there and also that he was so clear that I really felt like I engaged with him had that eye contact was able to give my mom some tips and support in terms of how she might be able to help him stay cognitively there like I learned how important it was to look him in the eyes and just you know just to share all this stuff with my mom give her some tips and support and then um, he even thanked me and gave me a hug you know he couldn't really move much but um he also we noticed did some movements with the paralyzed side of his body so these are all really good things so those days that i were there were 
just the best days to be there. All I can say is I would have gone sooner, but the flow and alignment, it's 111 as I say this and recording this. Uh, it was like the flow and alignment was to go, not right away, but to go in the best two days, the most pivotal two days, especially between the transfer of the hospital into the rehab. I feel like I now know where he was and also where he is and will be for the time being. So I feel like I got the greatest clarity, the greatest context, and I was able to be a support, not only to my mom, but to my dad and to the staff of the new facility. So really just mastered, I guess I could say, without even trying. I mean, these are just situations that unfolded in my favor, ultimately my dad's favor, really, and my mom's favor while I happened to be there. But it was so good. And while I was there, I got the update that the passport was ready. And I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. So everything's flowing, flowing, flowing. And so I ended up booking the trip. And my intuition said, yep, this is fine. There's no need to be here longer. And actually, as I've been keeping up, obviously, with my mom since then, it's been more about the physical steps forward. I mean, starting to be more mobile and they're starting to really help that rehab stuff. But I do believe that the cognitive part of him is not quite as advanced as it actually was those earlier days. So interesting that he's still going to, he's still making steps forward, but to me, the presence of myself and seeing his cognitive potential or abilities or even just to be able to connect to him in that way was fantastic and personally most meaningful. If you ask me, do I want to see him, I don't know, go to the physio gym or talk to him and see him and look him in the eyes, I'd all day long pick talking with the human that is my father rather than seeing the body that my father's in slowly try to recover from an almost death experience. So it was perfect. It was just perfect. That's all I can say. And intuition blessed the whole thing. I was like, okay, time to go on. So I went back to New York, but then found out, it's so funny as I go through these visa stuff, I think I got the lay of the land and then I get one step forward and I find out, oh no, there's this, this, and this to deal with now. And then get to the next step. Oh no, there's this, this, and this to deal with. So I was so excited to get the passport, but then my lawyer says, oh, by the way, it's just because you got the passport letter you had doesn't mean you have the approval yet. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought I was already approved. I thought this is already <laughs> set in stone. I thought, you know, we're just going through the motions now. He goes, well, they, for some reason, send out the approval letters after the passport is ready letter. So I got the passports ready to be picked up letter, but he goes, that's different than the decision approval letter. And I was like, well, why did they send them off at different times? Why did they send them two days later? And he goes, well, it just is what it is. So as I was flying to New York to pick up the passport, I figured, well, I could wait for them to tell me in the letter, or I can look in my passport itself and, and I'll find out whether I'm approved or not. And also I was curious what the date of the um, visa would be beginning because when my lawyer and I in Portugal submitted the application, we had to put the date of entry for the visa to begin. Okay, date of entry for the visa. Well, we didn't even know when we'd be able to book the appointment that I did in New York or any of the time frames. So we just arbitrarily picked February 10th out of the hat because we're just like, well, it seems like far enough away that we'd have time to get all the rest of it potentially done, even if it took a slower amount of time or longer time to get done, we, that still seems reasonable. If we picked a really fast date, we might maybe blast through it in this unfolding and then maybe that would somehow be complicating it. So we just put February 10th, but all of this got done so quickly. I was in the 20s of January when this was all wrapping up. So as I flew to New York, I was like, what am I gonna find in my passport? What's the date gonna be? And is it gonna be an approval or not? blah, blah, blah. So I get to the uh, office, I go in, I get my passport, I look at it and it says February 10th. And um, I guess not a huge surprise there. That's what we had put on the application. So I guess we could expect it and it was approved, which is great. So then the next question, and this I actually I knew was a question mark as I flew to New York. And this is where I got to use my 20 different outcomes experiment from last week's episode on the situation I was in. So what would I do if I had to wait until February 10th in order to enter the country? I didn't know if it said February 10th, would I be able to enter the country or not? That was still a question mark. If it said the 10th, would I have to wait? And this is like, I guess, something like January 20th when I was thinking of this. I'd already been on the road for, I don't know, about 10 days, 11 days by that point. I'd already been in Portugal and New York and Florida and New York. Like I just didn't want to keep roaming, especially while I'm paying for a very expensive flight in London on top of it all. So I was very keen to get back and and just kind of move forward in life 
as I was going, but didn't know what would happen. And I was like, well, in the case that I end up, and of course my mind did not like the duality pendulum of, am I gonna be able to go back to London now with whatever it says in my passport, or will I have to wait until February 10th? That was the duality pendulum my mind was swinging on. It's like, I got to get off the pendulum. So I started to think in the airplane, as I flew to New York, before I looked in the passport and knew what the outcome would be, I started to think of potentials that could be as good as not going back to London. But of course, I really wanted to go back to London. But I was like, what else could happen that would make me happy that I didn't go right away back to London? I can tell you that being, I don't know, I said, well, I guess I could do a few days with my friend Jess in Detroit. I could spend more time with my parents, but I didn't want to do like three more weeks with my parents. I just wanted to keep things open. But then I thought to myself, you know what I always said I wanted to do is go back to Sydney for the summertime. And I was like, well, I wouldn't have gone to Sydney in this earlier period of time because I needed to do so much stuff in the US. But if I know that I'm all set to go back, what I could do is just like go to Sydney for a few weeks and then come back after that. Maybe I could even, who knows, teach a class from Sydney. I love teaching classes from Sydney online when I get to work in their daytime, which is US evening time. So maybe that would be at the flow. So I started to think in that direction, but then I was like, hmm, well, if I did that, then I'd be, it's really expensive to live where I like to live in Sydney and I'm already paying for London. So what would I do? Where would I stay? And then I thought, well, my friend Tony's going back to Sydney. So maybe I could stay in his guest room. That's maybe an option. And I was like, you know, that's that's an option. It's one of the potentials. But then I thought, you know what? There is a guy I started talking to on the dating apps on Hinge. And he happened to be, and I was talking with him. I matched with him while I was in New York, but I kept my Hinge profile located to London because obviously I'm not trying to date people in New York. I'm trying to meet people in the place that I'm at. So I wanted to be in London dating Londoners or people that were there. And his profile, I just matched with him a few days before, um, had talked about, and I was really excited to talk with him because he wants to live between Sydney. He He's British, but he's been living in Sydney for uh, many years. I think over 12 years, he's been in Sydney with a business that he started there and he's starting a branch of that company in the UK and he wants to live between Sydney and London. And I was like, well, I want to live between Sydney and London. So that was an obvious person I should be talking to, right? So we have been talking and in the airplane, I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if he'd let me stay because he's in London right now. But I thought, well, if I go to Sydney, I wonder if he he actually also lived in the same neighborhoods that I was living in Sydney back in the day, too. So I was like, well, I wonder if he'd even let me. Maybe there's a potential that he'd let me stay at his place when I'm there. And hey, he could stay at my place while I'm not in London. Like we could just swap houses. And I was like, well, that's an option. So I kind of got excited at that. Like, well, when I got to New York, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be flying back to London or if I'm going to be flying to Sydney. But either way, I then had some potentials that I was excited about that weren't one-sided. It was like both sides of the pendulum or ways it would go could be exciting. They'd just be different versions of exciting. And I still had the preference overall of London, but I was like, you know what? That's an option. And I had told this person on the dating app because we were talking regularly about my conundrum and that I might end up going back to Sydney ironically before he does because I might not be able to enter London or the UK right away. And as I had sent that message to him right before I took the flight, when I was on the flight, I got that random kooky idea that maybe he'd let me stay at his house um, if I and we could swap houses. By the time I landed, I landed and opened up the messenger thing and saw that he had the same idea and had messaged it to me during the flight. He said, well, if you end up in Sydney of all places, like you could stay at my place. And he was giving me the lockbox code to the lockbox. <laughs> he was ready to let me drive his motorbike and his car, all of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a funny potential because I came to that potential on the way to New York, but he actually came to the same conclusion and so had already offered it. Not only was that kooky potential a potential, but it actually became a real potential if I needed it. But once I got to the visa office, I was able to see and then actually spoke to the lady at the visa office, which was really what I needed to do. It said February 10th, but guess what? Got to enter. She goes, as long as you leave between the 10th and the three-month period after that and re-enter and have your visa begin then, then it's fine. So what I plan to do is actually I'm on a tourist visa still now, but I'll just leave before the February 10th and then come back after February 10th. So I go away for a long weekend or something to activate the new visa and actually start the new part of my visa stuff. So, so there you have it. So that actually worked out, but I also felt so much 
vibrationally more open, excited, and friendly to the unknown of all of those unknowns because of the fact that I had broken the pendulum. I wasn't attached to any outcome being the only outcome. I had really opened my mind to any fun, crazy possibilities, including going there and staying at someone's house I'd never met, but could swap houses before we actually got to go on a date. So that was that story. And then after I got the passport, I was like, well, what am I doing? Once she said I could come back, I was like, I had a flight that I tried to move from Tuesday to that day on Friday. I was like, well, why am I staying? Like, I'm staying only because I didn't know if I could go. But then once I knew I could go, I was like, Mm, I just want to go. So I just did. I just booked a ticket. I couldn't even get the refund on the other one, which was very annoying. Lesson learned. <laughs> Don't work with that company again that I booked the ticket originally through. And I just booked a different one. But thankfully, even the second ticket, the price was not insane. And so I was like, okay, this is this is the flow. And so I got home. I got back. I got to sleep in my own bed. It was the best. So I think I was gone a total of 12 days. So all of that stress and all of those unknowns and all the one to six week stuff and blah, 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 all of that stuff ended up being super aligned. My dad's situation, I got to be there in the two most critical days of his journey, the two highest cognitive days of his journey. And I got to be there in to support my mom, the staff, my dad, everybody. I was just like, wow, how incredible is all of this? And I didn't mentally ultimately control any of it. In fact, a lot of times my mind was, you know, annoyed at certain things being slow or delayed or what have you, but ultimately everything flowed into place. So there you have it. That is what I observed. Now, one of the things that I thought, looking back on this, how did I do so well with this? And how could I have done this less well? And I think that there could have been a version of me. It's not the version at all that you're hearing from. But I think if there was a less wise and less aware version of me, maybe a younger version of me, that would have seen the condition my dad was in physically and mentally, but especially, especially physically, I could have looked at that and assigned it as wrong or as bad. And instead, I actually felt like I was living an Eckhart Tolle moment, you know, about being with what is and not making it wrong. I truly, when I went into that hospital room, had no idea. I'd heard from my mom and my brother what to expect in terms of what he looked like, but I hadn't seen any photos and I hadn't actually seen him since he looked like he usually, you know, always looked. He was obviously a shell of the person that he was in October when I last spent time with him. He looked nothing like himself in any way whatsoever. He went from a 66-year-old man to looking like a 96-year-old man. And he doesn't know yet, I don't believe yet still, what he looks like and how much his body has regressed and what the condition of his hematoma has led to the swelling in the brain and the lack of the skull and all of these things. So many elements. And I'm trying to obviously walk a very fine line of privacy for my family and at the same time share with you. So I don't want to go too deep into anything that's too graphic or too personal. But may I say that if I was younger or less wise, I could have looked at that and had a very adverse reaction or a very emotional reaction to this is wrong, this is not my dad, this is not what he should look like. All these emotions could have come up. And I have to say, I had talked to my inner voice, I talked to him through my inner voice for weeks beforehand. So I was so clear and I was so able to show up with what is and not assign it wrong. It was fascinating to observe. And now even still to go, okay, I don't know if my dad's other side of his body is ever going to be mobile or not. I don't know if he'll ever actually be as mentally astute as he even was for those two days ever again in his life. I don't know. I do think he's going to live for some period past the next six to 12 months. That seems, unless something dramatic happens like pneumonia or something else. Um, they also think that they, they found out at the rehab that they think he might have had a stroke while he was also at the hospital, but the hospital hadn't even figured that out. <laughs> so anyways, he's got a whole bunch of things to go through. But instead of me assigning this is wrong, I just see it as what is. And I am living that phrase that Eckhart Tolle would you know, speak about. And it reminds me so much that the reason I'm not suffering is because I'm not seeing what is in my dad's life as unacceptable. I'm not making it something that has to change. I'm allowing it to be the path that my mom and my dad are walking down and I'm there to support, but it's not there for me to control. 
Yes, I was there and able to support a lot of things that happened in those days. And I think that there was a lot of benefit from that. But I can also tell from my intuition that it's not my job to go be there full time in this stage of my journey either. It's literally, if it was, then I wouldn't have gotten the visa. And then I could have said, oh, this is why I never got the visa because I was supposed to go be with my parents. No, I got the visa at the exact same time that my dad got this uh, all happening to him. It was not for me to take it on full time in any capacity. Of course, I'm here as a daughter and support in all these other ways. And we'll ultimately be able to go back and visit, et cetera. But it's not at this point or stage of my life to be there fully. So what I thought about was with Eckhart, there's a quote that is just so good and it came back to mind. So I Googled it to, to quote it to you guys in case you're going through an unknown that your mind might be deeming as unacceptable. Eckhart says, if you find you're here and now intolerable and it makes you unhappy, you have three options. Remove yourself from the situation, change it or accept it totally. If you take responsibility for your life, you must choose one of those three options and you must choose now. Then accept the consequences. No excuses. So simple. I had three options. I could either remove myself from the situation, change it, or accept it totally. And I can tell from my intuition, it's not about removing myself from the situation in the sense that I would detach from my family and never be there or present or be checking in or anything like that. That's not what my intuition wanted me to do. It wasn't for me to change it in the sense that it wanted me to, I don't know, fight the doctors or get mad at my the situation as it was unfolding or anything like it wasn't about changing. I was able to help support though in those two days with the information I received and gathered from the hospital transition into the rehab, I was able to do some, you could say kind of changes and help support, like don't put him into solid foods, please keep him on a feeding tube until you have actually assessed that he can swallow liquids. And they did that obviously and got him safely into eating food. And I was also ultimately with him in my presence, I was able to accept him totally. I accepted the entire experience without any fault on any person. And of course, again, keeping privacy and respect for the family in mind, I will say my inner voice has said there's a lot of choices that were made in this unfolding leading up to all of this. And so it's not up to me to make those choices wrong or right, but ultimately they're sovereign beings and everyone, the staff, the rehab, the my dad, my mom, everybody involved is totally sovereign. And it's up for me to accept the choices they've made rather than to fight choices that sovereign beings have created. I can support these sovereign beings and their actions and their choices as best as I can, but ultimately to what aligns from my inner voices perspective of what that would be. So there we have it. I just thought I would share that because reflecting on that, that's something if I had to grade, not to grade, nothing's a grade. This is not a class or a school or anything, but I do feel like that made my experience of this unfolding and complete 180 shift in my parents' life and especially my dad's life, of course. Okay. Like I'm okay if he continues to live and I'm okay if he ends up choosing to leave. And I feel like I've even already from day one when he went to the ER, I already had that communication with him on, me, on the inside. He even said, oh, this is, I forgot about this. He said, some of the things he said were very, his personality as he usually was. Some of the things he said felt a little bit like he was dreaming in another reality and kind of speaking about what he was seeing in the other realities. Some of it didn't really make sense at all or I couldn't understand. But then some of it was quite profound more than he normally ever was in his normal life. And one of the things he tried to tell me, I think through broken words was heart to heart, distance doesn't matter. And he goes, and I don't know. <laughs> and it just makes me want to cry when I think about it. Because I think he tried to say heart to heart, distance doesn't matter. Because he obviously I've been away for so many years, but I think he was trying to communicate that he understands that distance is not what we're connected to. And it's because I've been talking to him on the inside. I don't even know if part of him is actually semi potentially aware. Obviously the soul part of him is, but the even the soul part of him that connects into the human might have some sense of connection to knowing that I have been connecting and talking to him on the inside where he's fully capacitated, where his intuition's in full enlightenment and alignment this whole time. Like I haven't had to look at his body as who he is. I've been connecting to the truth of who he is, the fullness of who he is. It's even wiser than the mind of the human I've ever interacted as what I call dad this whole time. And it even seems like that's something that even in that at least moment, I don't know 
if, you know, I saw him today, if he'd have any connection or cognition to that, or even remember ever saying it, but, oh, it was a really special moment to be able to witness. Okay, so now I have questions for you guys that you have sent me. I wanna run through them and see if I can help support. So here are some questions you have for week four. Um, It's Misty said, I find myself using my inner voice as a fortune teller because I'm not okay in the unknown. What type of question should I ask to better sit in the now versus trying to still control the outcome? That is such a great observation, Misty, trying to be the fortune teller. It is something I think a lot of people go through in their journey with their inner voice. And it's just great that you've been at that stage now to notice that your mind's doing that. Open-ended questions are great as far as asking. So your fortune teller mind might want to say yes and no's. Am I going to, is this the guy that I'm going to marry or not? Is this the job I'm going to get or not? Is this the company I'm going to get or not? Am I going to get the raise or not? I'll do a lot of yes and no's for fortune telling because it'll be attached to certain specific outcomes. Am I going to get married in the future or not? (laughs) Am I going to, should I get divorced or not? Fortune telling. Okay. So open-ended questions will help you shift that. So asking the inner voice, um, am I going to be okay? I guess it is yes or no. (laughs) Yes, you're going to be okay. But just like shifting to like inner voice, what do you want me to know about the situation? Inner voice, are you scared about this? If yes, why? If no, why not? You know, asking open-ended questions about the situation that don't lead to a yes or a no from your inner voice is a great way to get greater clarity without having to get hyper-specific. Now we have Guillen who says, and hello Guillen, nice to get your message. I feel like there's a mainstream belief that if something's for us, the process of getting there will be smooth and with ease, but I've not found it always to be the case. And also in your case of the up and downs with the UK visa, how did you know you're still supposed to be here if there were many hurdles? How can we help the mind come to terms with something being challenged yet still in the right path or discerning that when hurdles keep showing up and taking that life is showing us the path is not the right one now. Okay, so I think what he's saying is ultimately, how do we know if it's hard, do we keep going? And how do we know if it's not? And the visa is a great example. Gian, it's such a good example, right? The entire time I started applying for my first visa in May 30th of last year, (laughs) and I got the approval on January 10th and or sorry, fourth or third, and then I get the actual visa activated on February 10th. So much longer and ultimately a different path than I would have gone. But here's the thing I can tell you, it definitely didn't feel smooth. It definitely didn't feel like ease. I definitely had a lot of beanbags to release. I would say that there was a lot of energy to be cleared out. In a way, I think I manifested certain pieces of it potentially from the Australia energy that wasn't released until I did a lot of beanbagging and that actual kind of osteopathic session that I mentioned in one of the previous episodes in the series. So there was old energy that was still present in my vibration and still manifesting at least that level of stress about the situation. So maybe it wasn't even slowing down the situation, but my experience of the situation was hyper stressed because of the past emotional experiences. But I can tell you the alignment to actually going I, because of the visa being when it was, like I said, if I already had the visa already sorted last year, I would have gone when my dad got sick on January 4th. I would have gone the 5th or the 6th. I would have gone immediately. And I wouldn't have been able to be there for the actual best two days for me to be there. So then my mom would have had to do the transition to the hospitals to rehab on her own. I wouldn't have gotten to see and communicate with him and look him in the eyes and help him be more present than anybody had been able to up to that point. I wouldn't have had the two best days for me to be there. So not to say that my soul was like purposely keeping me out of the country so that that maybe happened, but I would say that ultimately the flow of aligned events occurred. And also because it was so slow and forthcoming and all of these other things, I can say that now I have a two-year visa or one to two-year visa, and that's all starting now coming in February, which means that my runway is even longer than I would have had otherwise, which is nice. And I also, I don't know, I feel like my intuition, also it's less confusing because I had Portugal stuff ending in time zone, time frames ticking down in the transition year of last year. So even though things took a super long time, now it's super clear and aligned. My mind didn't like it, but it didn't mean that there was necessarily anything wrong. 
even when the project was getting rejected. And I will say along the whole process, I kept talking to my intuition and it kept saying it was going to work out. So I had that guidance and dialogue within my inner voice throughout the entire experience. So you can do the same. You can ask your inner voice, like, why is this taking so long? Why are there so many delays? Why, why, why? Just ask a lot of whys if things feel difficult in certain things, in certain times and cases it still might be flowing or there might be manifesting from old energy vibrations that you haven't fully cleared yet. And once they're clear, you'll be able to actually manifest in a new and higher way. But there also could be certain gems in the slow unfolding that might also be occurring, for example, with me. Now, something else maybe could have also impeded my immediate trip if the visa already had been in my hands too, right? There's so many parallel realities and other potentials that could have happened. So even if I got a visa last November, maybe something else might have stopped me from going back right away. And I still could have been back for the two days that I was. Or if I had gone a week or two earlier, maybe, I don't know if a week or two earlier, if his stability would have been what it was for his transfer to the hospital. So I don't know if I had gone actually earlier that he would have had the two best days earlier, but maybe that's even a potential. But either way, I think it does come down to trust and connection to your inner voice so that you can go through smooth and easy things or long and delayed things with as much clarity as possible because you're holding your hand of your inner voice along the way. Now we have Agatha who said how to flow forward when things go wrong according to the ego or when you feel a sense of injustice or lack of appreciation from others. Ooh, interesting. So obviously, Agatha, you probably have something in your mind as an example that you're thinking about. And I don't have context to that example because you're saying something when you feel a sense of injustice or lack of appreciation from others. So I would say I would because I don't know the specific you're thinking about, would ask you to go to your inner voice about the sense of injustice and the lack of appreciation from others and ask your inner voice, inner voice, do you care if they don't appreciate me? Inner voice, do you find this unjust? Inner voice, what do you see about this situation? So ask 17 questions to your inner voice about the sense of injustice and the lack of appreciation from the other people and find out 100% clarity of what your inner voice's view on those two elements of the situation you're considering might be because your inner voice will view it completely differently than your mind. I remember once I looked at a, I was on Instagram and someone shared a very graphic scene from a very graphic war scenario happening, or it actually wasn't like the scene was war, but it was in a wartime situation. And it was hypergraphic. I was completely caught off guard because the person was a fashion blogger and she posted this thing or reposted it. And I was just like, whoa, just not expecting it. I was at a cafe and it just really hit me. And it took me about 40 minutes to go through with my inner voice one-on-one by myself later that night to process the emotional reaction I had to the what I witnessed in the video. So it's just kind of like a lot of people don't end up maybe considering like watching news or something, but even in this situation, even though I wasn't seeking it, it found me and the reaction was so strong in me that of course I needed to go find the clarity for my inner voice because I knew as I watched that and had this huge visceral mental emotional reaction, I knew that my inner voice wasn't looking in that from at all the same place that my mind was. So 40 minutes later, 30 to 40 within myself that night, there's so many things my inner voice had to show me. A, it said, why do you think you had the reaction. It's because it's happened to your own experiences in a past life. So the reason I was so viscerally reactive was because according to my inner voice, my own soul's experienced situations that looked like what I witnessed, even though my lifetime has had nothing like that. The reaction was so strong because it resonated to an different scene of a past life for my soul. So that was interesting. Then I still beanbagged all the emotions that came up for that in my own system. And then after I got all of that dirt off of my own shoes, the emotion that had accumulated, not just from seeing it this video, but because this video was an empathetic reaction to a piece of my soul from a past life. That's what was happening. I didn't have compassion for the scene and the victim that I saw in it. I was having empathy from another lifetime that my soul had experienced, according to my inner voice. So once I emotionally released all of the emotions and understood why the intensity of the emotion was so strong was because I'd also, not I as Bella or Jess, but the I, this the soul of me had also experienced that in that other lifetime, maybe didn't even have clarity or freedom from that emotion yet, obviously. Once I was able to help and integrate all of that, then it showed me that no one was a victim. 
And I was like, oh, that was like, you know, you have to be ninja level. You're, you're not just the beginner level stormtrooper. You're just a Jedi at the point where you're able to then not only hear this moon voice, but actually understand and perceive from that no one's a victim. And it was fascinating because the scene I saw, there's an obvious victim and an obvious victimizer in the scene. But the victim that I witnessed and that I had the resonance and the reaction to so empathetically was not as victim-y energy in the scene. What was happening in the scene, that energy of that human was not actually a victim, which was fascinating because I reacted to a victim energy because my soul had an experience that felt like a victim in that kind of scenario. But actually when I reflected back to the actual five seconds that I actually witnessed, the energy of that other human that was in 2024 was not actually acting in that scene of the five seconds I witnessed at all like a victim. And I was just shocked. I was like, wow. And also, and then I had to get really ninja, very past lifey in this lifey kind of thing that no one dies in any experience, no matter how terrible in a past life or this life is not permanent and not all pervasive and no soul is ever permanently permanently, permanently, permanently stained by any experience. And I know that from the past lives I've been dealing with of my own soul that are getting cleared now. Now, the timeframes of when these things happened are very long ago, yet are still getting cleared or all the clients that I've worked with. Like one of the clients I had, one of my kind of pet favorite stories is someone's um, past life uh, died in a landslide. A mudslide. It was a mudslide. And that could have been like Pompeii or who knows how long ago that might have been. And so that storyline might have happened ages and ages and ages ago. And this lifetime was still experiencing some of the empathetic reaction to that because the soul hadn't cleared it yet. But once we were able to clear it, the piece for the mudslide victim that died in the mudslide was able to be released and, and access, I guess, the peace and the, and the resolution. And so this scene that I witnessed in this moment on Instagram was able to be... Um, Declared in myself. I was able to see with the clarity of any kind of past life, which is wild that I was able to do that. But like I said, it took 30 to 40 minutes to get there. And it was definitely Jedi level <laughs> inner voicing. Even for me, it was like to be able to get there, not just about past lives that feel more removed, but also to be seeing it in modern day experiences. It is wild and very not aligned to the typical mass consciousness belief systems or approach. So but it's possible. I just want to share that story as a very relative one to a relatable maybe for some people listening to this, especially people that have been doing a lot of this work and, and journey inside themselves. I just want to share that for you to know that it's possible. It's possible. You just have to spend some time in your inner voice and releasing those emotions and finding that clarity inside of yourself for yourself on situations that trigger you. Okay. So now we have Kayleen who asked some really fun questions. She said, what does your inner voice say about the unknown? The unknown is simply the unfolding. It's the unfolding, the unfolding, the unfolding. You always hear about the unfoldings, the unfoldings. You hear that from your inner voices, the unfoldings, the unknown is just the unfolding. So what's on the other side of a blanket that's folded? Well, you say you don't know because you can't see it, but it's just the unfolding of the blanket. It's just new experiences, new experiences, new experiences to be had, to be had, to be had. You don't have to be afraid of what's underneath on the other side of the blanket. So that's what I just heard. Um, what not everything unknown? That's actually cool, by the way, the visual, the blanket that it showed me as that was happening. Pretty cool. Um, isn't everything unknown? <sighs> not everything, but ultimately the experiences, yes. That's what I just heard. <laughs> I don't even know if I mentally understand that. Not everything, but ultimately experiences, yes. Not everything's unknown, but the experiences feel unknown, I guess, is maybe what that was saying. Okay, and then do you feel like becoming friendly with the unknown actually helps us manifest in better, quicker alignment because we're at a vibration of allowing instead of fear? Absolutely. That's exactly, Kayleen, the the whole ethos and the whole reason I'm doing this class. And if you go back to episode one, I don't think I did episode one as clearly if, as I could have done. I've been listening to it. I was like, oh, I wish, wish I could have said that a little clearer. But absolutely, that's what I'm trying to make about the friendly. If we vibrate at the level of friendliness to the unknown, we can manifest friendly matching vibrational experiences. If we are in the vibration of fear of the unknown, we'll manifest things that match the vibration of fear. So absolutely, the entire reason I'm doing this class is for the friendliness to be there so that the optimism or at least neutrality or optimism excitement, whichever 
level of this, the whatever high flying disc, as Abraham says, you can get onto, the better to manifest from the unknown. What's going to be on the other side of the blanket, as my inner voice just said, has all the chances in the world because it's just you as consciousness collapsing your wave function based on the vibration you're setting. So we want you to set it to the highest vibrational stance possible to match quarks and gluons and atoms and waveforms in this reality that match those higher vibrations. So the manifestations that follow match the vibration you're emitting. But if you're emitting the dirt on your shoes and the fear and the you know duality pendulum and all that other stuff, you're going to be matching things that feel to the same frequency. Even if the thing that you didn't want, didn't happen, something else might happen. It's still less of a vibrational, you know, joyful experience than it could have been if you were more in a friendly state to the unknown, a more accepting, aligning, allowing to the unknown to be higher than what you could have even imagined before. And last but not least, she asked, do you have any suggestions for ways to feel friendly when the unknown, when we've drifted back to fear or anxiety? Yes, beanbag. Remember that when you're feeling those feelings of fear, overwhelm, or anxiety, it's just dirt on the shoes. Recognize it like, oh, my shoes are dirty. Oh, I've got some stuff to clean. And don't get obsessed and like become a cleaning freak, a cleaning machine, but definitely become gently aware that when there's dirt on the shoes, when you have some space and time to clear it, please do so. Please do that beanbag releasing within yourself or within a buddy or with a professional if you haven't done it before. Please keep clearing those emotions when they come up and say, of course, they're coming up, but then go in to release them. All right, guys, I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and module four of The Friendly Unknown. Until next time, may something wonderful happen to you and your friendly unknown. <laughs>